In 2011, the FBI added a short one-page memo to their extensive online archive that sent waves throughout the UFO world. The memo, addressed directly to then-director J. Edgar Hoover, had been sent from the desk of the head of the Washington field office. The memo contained claims from a third-party source that the Air Force has recovered alien craft from the New Mexico desert. Not only had the military recovered crashed vehicles, but also the memo had details of bodies that had been retrieved from inside the craft as well. UFO researchers pored over these details and came to the conclusion that, although the details seemed to resemble the alleged Roswell UFO crash, the memo may actually have been describing an entirely different event from a book published in 1950 that contained claims from scientists who had worked on the retrieval of an approximately 100-foot craft almost 300 miles northwest of the infamous Roswell. This case file joined the theorists as they lure themselves to the basis of Base 9, discussing the Aztec UFO crash. To Alien Theorist Theorizing Case File 211, the Aztec UFO Crash. I'm Braden. I'm Zell. I'm Dan. And I'm Andrew. You're supposed to say I'm Big Daddy Z or Big Daddy Z. My coven grows. <laughs> one, one more member. Your brood. My brood. Yeah. <laughs> You've got some uh, some serious uh, baggage there under those eyes, there, my friend. It's been a it's been a, a rough day. It's been a, <laughs> a rough day. <laughs> it's a misconception, you know. Some people say vampires don't sleep. We actually need sleep more. That You're supposed to sleep all day, aren't you? Yeah, it's low hemoglobin. You got to sleep a lot, and uh, <laughs> little baby girl. You know what? She was pretty good for the first ten days, and then we've had a setback today. Just fighting, fighting the sleep. Just saving it up. Yeah, she's building yeah. it up. Permanent setback. Doll. So I got a half a uh, half a mug of coffee and it filled with half coffee whiskey. So, oh, coffee at seven thirty p.m. Wow, well, it's a bold move. I'm planning on not sleeping. <laughs> Time has no meaning anymore. <laughs> I'm planning on not sleeping again. <laughs> ever, ever <laughs> going on two and a half years here, pal. <laughs> we need sleep. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, this case file tonight that we got going. First off. It's weird because we had almost a two-week break, but it didn't feel like a two-week break. But it's it, it's nice to be back anyways. Like I said, I, I was, especially coming back uh, after Spooktober, I know what I forgot to do. I know now what I forgot to do. And what's that? I was that? supposed to fucking spin because I was gone for a week and I had all the the meat draw oh, the, uh, for the, the Spooktober contest. with the pumpkin entries I was, gonna, I was supposed to pick. Ah, I, I even said something yesterday. I know you did. You fucking blew it. <laughs> so I said, um, you know what? By the end of the show, I'll have one picked. Just randomly. I mean, it's it, it's give or take here. <laughs> you get your choices. You get skinny smart Braden or you get fat funny Braden. Well, can we say we're, so, we're slowly slipping into fat funny there's Braden? No, there's no, no in between. <laughs> there's no in between. 
one right now i'm in this weird in-between mode right where it's like i'm not quite funny not quite smart not too dumb everything's just (laughs) fucked up but ugly but there's no consistency here right now the time just changed just went back days are long and dark fat brain is coming quick yeah hey hey, listen Uh -uh. you know what i think we're i think we're further along in fat Braden than he's admitting here why don't we shave that fucking beard Braden, and have a look I need a kid, no, I need a chin count. What's under the beard? What's under there? What's behind the mic? <laughs> <laughs> you think I, you think I put it like this for for aesthetic reasons? Yes, I do. <laughs> it hides this. <laughs> ah! um, Sugar water. Before we get into this case file, I mean, this is a it's a pretty fun one. It's kind of like a Roswell 2.0, not far away. <laughs> hey. But before then, for two weeks, you know, I was trying to have a little family time, bond with a young Zell, and this fucking ATI blowing me up all day, every day. So I got, I got, I got to play this. Those motherfuckers won't, won't leave me alone. I need all reasons to sleep. Oh, we got infiltrated too. That's right. Yeah, we did. Yes. Got infiltrated too. They sent a th- death threat to my house. How'd they get your address? I gave it to him, I think. <laughs> you guys want to send me free stuff? Oh, you want to send me free stuff? Go ahead. Send me some stuff, man. I was like, oh, death threats. This isn't what yeah. I wanted. What, why do you need my address? Don't you just need my PayPal account? Yeah, <laughs> yeah paypal.me slash BradenAPT. No big deal. Nope, no biggie. He'll take anything. <laughs> yeah, right. if you want to support me and not the rest of the guys, <laughs> <laughs> look them up. Look them up. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, ATI, back at it. See, I'm not sure what this is, though. Find out right now. The following announcement has been paid for by alien theorist Illuminati. Mm. <laughs> for the What's record, up? please state your name. My name is Raven, professional wrestling superstar, but you already know that. Who are you doing this for? This is for Braden, Zell, Dan, and Andrew. Who are you I got your name right. The alien theorist Illuminati. Illuminati. Well then, bring on the grand <laughs> piano. He wants to play for the queen. Come on. Are the alien theorists <laughs> smart about aliens and conspiracies? They're not that smart about aliens and other conspiracies. They're a bunch oh. of dum-dums. They're dum-dums. Yeah. So I don't know whether to <laughs> put them over or to bury them. But either way, they're a bunch of dum-dums. So I'm going to go with the roast, obviously. You remember when not you were wrong. briefly on their podcast? Of course I was, because I'm a big star. Do you think they should have you back <laughs> on the podcast? Well, duh, you should have me back. And uh, the group that's taking over your podcast is uh, never let a group take over your podcast. Not no, a choice. Maybe an individual, sure, but not a group. Uh, what are you thinking? Um, anyway, and get some real names. Braden, Zell, those aren't real names. Those are fictitious <laughs> if I've ever heard fake names. <laughs> So, nothing left to say, but quote to Raven, nevermore. Oh, Raven. Gotta change your names. Our names are fake Name. and we're a bunch of dum-dums. Raven said. Yeah. He's not wrong about the dum-dums. <laughs> well, yeah, he's absolutely I mean, Braden, absolutely you're right. more of a Craig anyways. I mean, Yeah, yeah. I think we've all determined that. <laughs> Funny guy. Raven. Yeah, that was like our first, we tried to have a guest on so long ago, just was, it just wouldn't work. Yeah, well, maybe we'll try we're again. better now. Maybe we're we'll better do. at the virtual shit, so uh, maybe we can make it work. 
Yeah. No, no as long as he doesn't want to talk about flat earth, though. Yeah, that's true. He is he a flat earth guy? No, uh-huh. he just loves talking about it. But I, he's not a flat earth guy. He just loves talking about it, though. But I just find it talking about it. It's just, yeah. yeah. It's fun. We've mm-hmm. we done it. We're not doing flat earth three. No, hell no. <laughs> no. This, uh-huh. now, unless there's some like huge, you know. <laughs> it is flat. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, shit, <laughs> flat earth three. Fuck, man, <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> First, we say Donald Trump's not going to be president. Then we told you the Earth's not flat. Two for two, wrong. Bunch of dummies. <laughs> we kind of like with COVID too. We're like, ah, it's nothing to do with. Not it's not a big deal. If we say something, do the opposite. Yeah, yeah. If you believe don't know that by now. That's your own goddamn fault. <laughs> yeah. So this case file though is like get, digging into it. I couldn't believe. I'd never heard of it before, and I think I've probably heard whispers of it and, and looked at. But when I dug into it, I'm like, man. Surface level, you're like, oh, there's nothing to this. And then you scratch it a little and you're like, oh, my God, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of, you know, interesting people involved. It, it, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating account. It's not not widely known either. Uh, this case, the Aztec UFO case, I remember hearing about this a long time ago and probably around like the early 2000s or something. There was a memo, an FBI memo that came out called the Guy Hoddle uh, memo that came out and essentially it, it was a big deal in UFO circles. I remember it like kind of popping up in the news for like a we've, couple of news talked, stories. About, we've talked, we've mentioned it, it yeah. before oh, we've mentioned it before. And we'll probably go over it again. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with it, but, um, the guy Hoddle memo is referring to the Aztec UFO crash. We're out in Aztec, uh, New Mexico in this area, which is it the heart plateau or something, the heart heart plateau out there. I wasn't there sure is, if they were saying heart or hard. I heard heart. <laughs> I, I heard hard. And if you look uh, at our meme, it's in the shape. There's a rocks in the shape of a heart. So I assumed it was hard. So out there, there is a uh, small little plaque. And on this plaque is inscribed a uh, story about what happened there. So this is what it says on the plaque. And I'll just read it out here. So on or about this site on March 25th, 1948, a spacecraft or of origins unknown, crashed or landed on this mesa. It is alleged the Los Alamos radar station near El Vado, New Mexico, tracked the errant landing to this site. A high-security recovery operation led by the Air Force and the 5th Army Division was responsible for the removal of this craft. The recovery operation took approximately two weeks, with all the remains being taken to Los Alamos Laboratory for scientific study and evaluation by some of the world's leading scientists. Later, it was rumored to have been taken to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. The recovery of this class by the uh, craft by the U.S. government and military was one of the most secretive recoveries of a spacecraft with origins unknown since the similar recoveries in Roswell, New Mexico, eight months earlier. And then we'll, so we'll talk about it. So then there's a little bit like describing the craft, itself, but that's mainly the the, that's the, the subject gist. of the Aztec UFO crash. That's basically what it is. Now, a lot of this story comes from one Frank Scully. Now, Frank Scully wrote a book about entirely about this. Um, you know, uh, he published a book in 1950 called Behind the Flying Saucers, um, right on the kind of uh, on the upswing of the UFO phenomenon that was going on during that time. And Frank Scully was an American journalist and author who uh, was a regular columnist for the entertainment trade magazine Variety. So he was he was well known around things. He had penned articles and things like this before. And then 
So in October, wasn't it you telling me earlier that the character Scully? Yes, Dana Scully uh, is uh, her namesake is Frank Scully. They took his name and gave it to Agent Dana Scully in the forties, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the name. Yeah, Yeah, that's it's reported that 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 her character directly based on him. Yeah, it's directly Frank. based off of his name or on you know, an homage to Frank Scully. Is so, it with, her middle name's Frank? Is that what it is? Y- yes. Dana Frank Scully. Dana Frank Scully. Yeah, Dana Frank Scully. Yeah. <laughs> I think that checks out. Yeah, I'd say so. So in October and November, Scully actually published two columns in Variety that claimed that dead extraterrestrials had been recovered from a flying saucer crash. And then in 1950, uh, he published that book, uh, Behind the Flying Saucers, which kind of expanded on the topic. And in this book, he specifically mentions like two scientists, uh, which he had kind of communicated with, which had given him kind of direct firsthand knowledge, or they, they at least implied that they had firsthand knowledge of what they had seen um, at this crash site. Like they had been there when it had happened. Um, they had worked on government projects before and they had been there uh, when this craft had uh, crashed into this area of New Mexico. Did it crash so, or did it land? The, the, the events start, seem scattered. It, so there, I'm going to yeah. go ahead and say it crashed. And yeah, there's, uh, there's some damage to it as when I remember the, when they went like, through it. Yeah, there's like the the mess of there is like some hill area that has uh, some seemingly like it looks like it's been hit or impacted by something in a horizontal fashion right. before coming down to yeah, land like where a they large say crash. laceration in it, right? Like yeah, and they say and they say looking at this that you know this wouldn't be made from you know water erosion one because it would be vertical uh, and two <laughs> you know it, there's not a lot of rain there so it would, like it would take like so many years for that kind of erosion if it were to even happen um but the horizontal would not especially where it is so another another down craft frank scully interviewed two uh major sources for this story on the aztec new mexico crash he inv- and and he gave them pseudonyms and he had scientist x Dope. and dr g oh. Dr. G. Oh, dude. Oh, Dr. Dr. G. G. Scientist X. That's fucking. Um, and he refers to him as such. Platinum as, albums too. Dr. G. We should make a we should make a comic book called that. The Adventures of Dr. G and Scientist X. Yeah, we could. We Who could can draw a number of trade magazines? <laughs> None of us. None of us. It'd be stick figures, <laughs> stick figure battle drawings. That's it. But hey, we'll have some witty dialogue. Probably not. But <laughs> so as to the whole story is what happened. Now apparently it was. Uh, Two telescopes, right? This is directly from the book. Telescopes, T E N E S C O P E S. Telescopes. Yeah. Pretend I like thought this people don't know what a telescope is. Let's tell them what the fuck. Yeah, a yeah. We all know what it is. We know what it is. Yeah. I don't know what a telescope is. It's <laughs> the telescope that you use to watch people play tennis when you're in the yeah. top of the bleachers. The li- oh, right? the little ones. Yeah, dude. I th- I I've just thought it was. Before. I thought it was a typo. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> I did too. I thought it was, I thought telescopes was a typo. And I went through that book and went through the book of, uh, behind the flying saucers and, and found it mentioned and spelled the same way, at least several more times, telescopes. Um, it's, I, I tried to look up what it is. I thought it was some type of, uh, you know, it was some type of like a radar device or some kind of specific, like directed radar or something like that. It, it, I, I haven't found anything like there's nothing mentioned about what it is. That's, they don't really explain what it is in the book. 
Um, but uh, from the kind of the feeling or like the descriptions of like how they used it, it's like some type of, of radar, uh, some type of radar mechanism. Okay. Now these telescopes uh, caught an unidentified ship as it came through our atmosphere and they watched it, uh, uh, its position, and then kind of estimated where it, where it landed. Now there is some kind of, uh, th- there's a bit of uh, kind of guesswork involved. There is uh, There are reports that uh, two other radar facilities in, uh, in New Mexico had kind of caught it on uh, this craft and had caught it on their screens as well. And they kind of ended up triangulating it after it kind of fell off radar or, you know, out of radar range, uh, the telescope, uh, they were able to triangulate where this craft had kind of seemed to be going. And then they kind of, from there is where they kind of began their search. Now, um, apparently, these objects were found within a few hours after it had landed slash crashed. It's not quite, it's not quite clear what happened. There's some kind of, there is some talk of like, perhaps it had some type of automated landing um, mechanism or some kind of automated landing technology autopilot, which kind of like put it down yeah, a little bit too rough, but the ET it, park yeah. assist. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it hit the side of the bank, right? Caused the gouge in the side of the of, of the mesa, and then just auto landed, right? Like, but maybe that impact, you know, did some of the damage that we'll talk about later. And so, Air Force officers were dispatched from the flying field in Durango, Colorado, uh, in order to search for this craft. And when they found it, it was on this this very high rocky plateau in the that was heart shaped. Right, east of Aztec, hmm. New Mexico. Hard shaped, hard shaped. It it said you know scientist X is is relaying this story to Frank Scully, um, and he says that during that time the scientist uh, had studied the ship from a distance, as he would, and you know, like because you don't know where this craft has been, you don't know what um, you know what it's capable of. He said that they're uh, kind of assessing it by using uh, you know Geiger counters, you know. Uh, he mentioned specifically cosmic rays. Not quite sure how they did that, um, and then other protective devices. You know, trying to to find out if it was kind of if there's harmful radiation or any type of uh, you know chemical, whatever. You know, if it's safe to approach. Right. Now, after those two days, apparently they you know they started kind of after they were able to approach the craft or they, they deemed it safe enough. These scientists were kind of clambering all over it, trying to find a way into this craft because they couldn't find um, what they marked as like the hulls seemed to be made of some type of silvery aluminum, like completely smooth material. There were no bolts. There were no, like it didn't look like there were any welding. There was no, it's just completely almost one solid. So we got got uh, ourselves a classic outside like saucer, like, Classic saucer. Silver, like a dome on top and a little bit on the bottom, full ring around. But this one's huge, 100-foot diameter. Right. Isn't so it like 99.9? 9. 99. 99.999. <laughs> yeah. It is 0.99.9. So uh, yeah. and we'll talk about that. That, that. that is important later. <laughs> um, now... Uh, they couldn't find a door or anything uh, that was, you know, clearly represented on the outside of this craft. So what they did apparently is they found um, a broken porthole of some type, uh, which appeared uh, from their first examination to be made of some type of glass or something like that. And then um, 
you know, it when they examined it later, it wasn't, you know, according to, to Scientist X, it wasn't any type of glass that they recognized that could be produced on Earth. So um, finally, in order to gain access into the craft, uh, they did the very uh, scientific thing to do and took a large pole and rammed it through the hole poke uh, poke in, the de- in the defect of the ship. So through this cracked glass, they just shoved a pole in there and kind of wiggled it around. Yeah, and dude, then, it's the classic, like, same thing when you lock your keys in your yeah, car, just right? You say, just you jimmy jam it. the fucking coat hanger and jimmy that motherfucker. They jimmy yeah, the I UFO. Picture, well, yeah. I just, I picture it, like, fucking, it's just such advanced machinery, and then we got our, like, top scientists on us, but it's still, like, fucking, you know, Zoolander, the files are in the computer, and they're just, like, shaking it and smacking it and poking sticks with it, and then magically it fucking pops open. They're like, yeah, we knew about that the whole time. So it, they're they're poking through, it's not like an actual, like, it's part of the the broken piece of a craft. That's where they're poking. It's not like an actual like you know. It's sometimes e, like ETs are portrayed with long fingers. It's not like they an ET would stick their finger in this hole normally and open the door. No, no, it was some type of like crack or hole in this or what seemed to be. It was not. It, it's definitely not meant to be there. Right. And this is what they kind of assumed later is like it, this is probably something some defect or some damage to the craft that, that ended up uh, you know being a, a primary cause of the the crash of the craft or a malfunction of some type. And so they kind of just jammed a pole in there um, to kind of either widen it out, figure out some way to get in. And then, um, you know, but this actually allowed them uh, after they withdrew the pole, they were able to view inside the craft itself. And when they took a look in there, what they found was, you know, astounding to them. Now, no kidding. They were able to, according to Scientist X, they were able to count 16 bodies that ranged from 36 to 42 inches. Oh, so like classic small gray toddlers, very small. Right? They're very small. But the thing is, we don't, we don't, yes, we get the small stature, but we don't get the description. A lot of the description is just childlike. That's it. Well, yeah, and you know what's crazy about that? As soon as they started mentioning that, my fucking brain started spinning because I immediately thought to fucking our interview with Dr. Michael Masters. Ooh. Because what he explains is what he thinks with the with the time travelers. So they're not aliens; they're us traveling from the fucking future. And he basically explains that evolutionary trends may lead to humans to appear like you know our popular idea of what an alien is, but basically they're just humans suffering from neoteny, which is like the slowing of the body, the development of the body, which means you basically are maintaining these childlike features. Little hairless. Right? Well, exactly. No hair, small, like barely any muscles. Small. But the weird thing too is they had a full set of teeth. Right. Kids got to eat. Perfect right? teeth. Perfect, Perfect teeth. teeth. Right. According to eat. Right. Yeah. But no, it's not. It means like, you got some sort of braces or some shit going on. Like orthodontics. Well, but that's the weird thing, though. It's like whenever you get these, when like whenever we do these case files, they're so quick to explain. Like they look like fucking so you're saying green or gray. But it will be available in the future. Universal free dental care. Oh yeah, hell hell yeah. We won't even need it. You'll you'll be born, man. When they when they plug in your di- your digit, you'll just come out with straight teeth. Just be DNA manipulation for perfect teeth. Yeah. Well, they're probably fucking getting it. They're getting the perfect nutrients in a little fucking gel packet, mm. right? There's no fucking in a sugar jelly in bean. They're not getting not getting any cavities or anything like that. Yeah. Teeth are getting damaged, but no, it's still like they don't really explain these guys. Like they're not discolored. They're not. I their bodies were charred or whatever, right? So it's kind of hard to examine. But right. like, 
I don't know. Maybe Michael Masters, Dr. Michael Masters is on to something, man. He was a smart guy. I, yeah. I, I like so what now, he <laughs> they They prodded around in the hole, as you do. And then um, apparently they, they stumbled upon what is like uh, they were able to reach some type of double knob, uh, which they said they pushed against this double knob. And then to their surprise, the door flew open. <laughs> popped open. Steam came out, and so they're able to closely, more closely examine these bodies. And again, said that yeah, they're they're pretty much normal from every standpoint. Like they weren't, they were small, but they were they were equally proportioned. Like they were healthily proportioned as like a as just a small human. I guess he would be like some type of like you know Homo florensis or something. Like you know they they are proportioned. They are they are that way. Right. That's right. When what they would call they weren't a little person. They were like a proportioned. No. They're different species of hominid. Right. What yeah. They look like now when, when they said they're they're burnt, did like the rest of the craft look burnt or they, did these things just like it look burnt from from what? Like when I was reading, didn't they have a description of like the interior of the craft being burnt? It just seemed like the creatures were burnt. See what I what I wondered about that, if if maybe they're not it maybe our oxygen or something, if there's a crack in the ship and something was got in, maybe their skin, oh, like whatever corrosive. reaction they were having from our atmosphere and that, you know, you know, with melted their faces or something right like or some you know that that's where my brain went because i didn't get any description of a fire on 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 board or anything so to have these burnt bodies but maybe there was some sort of you know a fire suppression system well i mean on that theory like we breathe oxygen and we're like oh it's great for us but it is a corrosive gas like it's yeah it oxidizes yeah it's like it's so if you, you didn't have the right chemical composition to be in a like an oxygen rich environment, yeah, maybe uh, fucks you up. Either that, or they found the ark and tried to open it. Zap! And then the Nazis came and took it back from them. Right. It's Nazi bell time traveling. None of the uh, from the descriptions and and the as told by scientist X, the I think the the equipment was mostly inside the ship was intact. I don't think there was any real mention of any type of damage or any serious type of like. Um, uh, anything kind of being out of place. It seemed like all the equipment and stuff was intact. And then the bodies are just, he described them as having some type of the, the skin seemed to be charred, charred a uh, quote, dark chocolate color. Oh, okay. Yeah. Their there's suits are indestructible. Yes. Apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and yeah, these, these suits, no insignias, no nothing like just blank flight suits. Sane armor. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, but Saiyans wouldn't get charred like that. Their power level would just go up. Yeah, that's true. So once, once they had uh, removed the bodies or something, and they had removed the bodies, taken the bodies out, um, they were able to more closely, they started kind of examining the craft you know, in earnest, and they are able to go in the outside and around the outside. Now, we talk, We mentioned about it before. Now, the overall dimensions of the craft, the, uh, they said, is like this, this craft was uh, about 100 feet in diameter, but it is important to note that it is 99.99999. They were very specific in Frank Scully's book. Scientist X mentions this because the cabin, which was entirely round, so this is within the, the raised dome set, domed center of this craft from, from what we can tell from illustrations uh, taken from descriptions of this craft, is that... Um, uh, was actually 18 feet across and then it was 72 inches in height 
And then exactly 45 inches of the cabin was exposed above the outer rim of the saucer. And this is where the portholes were located in this area. Mm. Now, these measurements, you know, you have 18, 72, 45, and then the 99.99999. Um, this and a couple of other uh, it, like evidence they had found, like in, it, within the, just, the distributions and the, the the way that this this craft was built, led the scientists to hypothesize that they these beings had some type of uh, base nine system of of mathematics and engineering instead of our base ten mm. metric system. They got mm. a base nine, indubitably, right. So it's like the Dewey Decimal working. System. I understand yeah. that. I get which, it. They operate yeah, on like the base nine. I mean, to me, I feel like uh, these are. I mean, these are inches and feet, and so I mean, in meters, and it wouldn't really be have any. And centimeters. Yeah, and centimeters oh, wouldn't really oh. have any significance. But. It, sometimes, if you're looking for numbers and patterns, they can show up. We know sure. that. We've talked about that tons. Well, people say, or Tesla always said, like the secrets of the universe are in three, six, and nine. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I can go with. The, like a base nine would operate pretty much like a base 10 and just only have nine valid digits. Like it would be, it wouldn't really be any, it actually, I think it would make math harder. <laughs> no, please don't that's do that's what we want to do. Yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> now, uh, once they got inside, they were able to kind of identify like what, 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 what equipment was, was able to do kind of stuff. They're like, okay, this is... <laughs> Like they had buttons and dials and knobs galore to kind of to pour over uh, and while they compact they're... discs and compact flat discs. Screen, I don't remember reading that. CDs, you say? Yeah, flat, flat screens. They flat flat screens. screens too. Yep. Flat screens, which was you know these are not again in the 1950s for you to be coming up with these things. It, 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 it's preposterous. Preposterous. But there's descriptions of of compact discs, and when I've heard that, I went. Okay, well, like, you know, we had CDs, but like now looking back at the era of CDs, I'm like, those don't seem like the best thing to to store, you know, data on anymore, CDs. No. So then it got me thinking, I I, I really went like, because that was a really hang, long hang up for me. I was like, see, why the fuck would a species of traverse time and space have fucking compact discs? Like, that's like They're nostalgic. You know, so then I, I there's there's only two options in my mind. One is that the whatever science they have around their you know their their craft to fly it, whether it is flying or pushing through space time, does that directly have to be involved? Like maybe like their flight aerodynamics is like way up here, but like their data storage is fucking way down here, right? Like we're <laughs> ahead of the curve on Earth here with our data storage. With USB sticks, no. and they're still using CDs. <clears throat> or, right? Had old radio that they had a fucking plug. That's what I'm saying. They're nostalgic, man. The guy's got a Shania Twain CD in their fucking spaceship. Yeah. Throwback to the oldies. I thought of it like we use like some type of like we use like pretty much plastic, some type of plastic, like polycarbonate or something for our CDs, and it only has like it has pretty low data storage. But ma imagine, because a CD, think about a CD is it's, you can pack a lot of them. They're like easy to store. You can stack them up really nice. Like they are pretty nice to store. So say you had a CD with some type of like crystal storage and on one CD, you could have like 15 terabytes of information. Maybe, mm, maybe, okay. this, maybe it's just like a different, they're not using like low storage plastic like we did. They have some like, you know, 
some crystal diamond discs. Yeah, some diamond discs. Crystal discs. Maybe. Uh, I was just ones that don't skip or get scratched. They don't. Yeah, I mean, diamonds, harsh material. It doesn't scratch. It's never going to skip on you. You can take it through cosmic rays, radiation. That's that's more my mind. Right, and uh, I mean, and they also on the ship had the most uh, or one of the most primitive ways to store data because apparently they also had some pamphlets and booklets made of some type of paper or uh, yeah, paper-like material, uh, which which they believe dealt with some type of navigation uh, problems, okay. uh, which ended up, according to Scientist X, sent to like the Air Force. They they said that they had people to to decipher these things. So I'm using the same theory for the paper paper pamphlets. It's not paper at all. It's some type of indestructible, <laughs> <laughs> indestructible, bimetal, flexible yeah. material that is... Because you can store more visual... <laughs> it has different layers. Data. Yeah, it has denser. different layers on it. The ink they use is denser, so it's it, more information. Dan, yeah, I get it. Dan's... He's on it. He's on the ball. Here. I, got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> um, so Scientist X and his staff must have been fucking wild in because once they got inside the ship and they saw all these buttons and shit, apparently one of the guys or a couple of the staff were like, you know what? The best way to fucking figure out how this shit push works. Them all. Press, press them the all. fucking buttons. Let's just press, press this button. Let's press. Yeah, let's press this. Button. Listen, is Brady in there? This is, like, this that is exactly something he would do. This doesn't surprise me because we've talked about the motherfuckers <laughs> wearing cowboy hats, fusing fucking nuclear metal together, spacing them <laughs> out with their fingers. Like, this shit doesn't surprise me back in the day. Like, they don't give a fuck, right? They're just like, yeah, fuck it, whatever. What do these do? Like, they're, eh, just throw more men. If they die, well, they must. Yeah, they, they must have learned their lesson because at least, uh, they, you know, they, they came to a consensus that that was probably the worst thing that they could probably <laughs> do is press a button when they have no idea how this shit functions at all. But the fact that it was even brought up is 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 mind-boggling to me. <laughs> Um, let's be honest here if we went if the four of us randomly found a spacecraft and we get in it I guarantee you Zell's pushing a button you too the first thing I do is push the button I would probably I'd probably be hesitant at first and then as soon as Zell pushed one I'd be like fucking Zell would be looking for alien things to consume if you look at those little charred midgets being like, I wonder if I eat one of them and would I get their superpowers? Like, is that how this works? Do you absorb their powers if you eat if you eat it? I feel like you try this. Now, after a long study and a long, not exactly uh, clear how long a long study is, they figured out that the ship is actually assembled in segments and that these segments fitted into uh, grooves that were all kind of pinned together around the base of this craft. Now, they were able to actually lift the cabin uh, from the bottom of the saucer, and then they found a gear completely encircling the bottom of the craft. And then this gear fitted into uh, into another gear that was on the cabin. So I assume like it's some type of like it has like a rotational capacity of some type. I assume they use so gears. Two gears on board. Interesting. Yeah. Where do you keep the, the red mercury? I'm not sure. I mean, they used red mercury for lubrication. I don't know. Like I, gears seems like a, a, a seems like a bit of a primitive principle to kind of put on your ship. Uh, but, no, I'm going yeah. back to the same thing, Dan. They're using different types of gears here. High density <laughs> crystal lattice <laughs> gears. Got it. Nice. I don't know, man. Perfect. They fought a whole war about gears. Right? <laughs> the, the gear, gear wars. wars. We know gear about wars, this. Yeah. So don't try and fucking downplay the gears for us, buddy. Yeah. Useful. Don't be a gear wars denier. <laughs> hmm. Now, in terms of actually like material that these apparently these 
these beings uh, required food of some type because they actually found something in there that they figured out was actually food. It was some type of uh, they found these um, little wafers, like <laughs> freeze dried or something. But they were uh, these wafers that they found that they were actually able to feed to guinea pigs. And then they said that the, the guinea pigs simple thrived Rick, on yeah. Yeah. yeah, simple Rick's classic R- Relax though. with. The smooth taste of simple Ricks. <laughs> and so uh, those, and then they found another interesting uh, piece of information that scientist X relayed to Frank Scully is that they found that these, uh, these humanoid, these humanoids perhaps needed some type of, uh, they functioned much like us, that they needed some type of liquid or water. They, they, they must subsist on water because they found two containers of water, what they, you know, a, you know, H2O on the ship. But when they checked it, this water was found to be normal in all the as- aspects, uh, you know, uh, similar to our water, H2O. Except, Except, like Zell said, fucking crazy dense water. It's Super twice water. as heavy. Yes. Super water. Dude, Described as being twice as heavy. It's us from the future coming to visit. Which is weird because, like, there is heavy water. Heavy water does exist, but it's, it's like chubby ten, rain. But it's like 10%. <laughs> My kind of rain. <laughs> Chubby rain. <Exactly>. rain. <laughs> Want to see you laughing in the, in the chubby, chubby rain. rain. Chubby, chubby rain. rain. Chubby <laughs> rain. And that's pretty much the 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 whole of what Scientist X uh, relayed to Frank Scully in his book, and that, that this was the actual crash that was uh, that recovered there, and then had scientists on there, and then was the matter of like they had to disassemble this craft and then move it to uh, another, like we said before, Wright Patterson. We said Wright Patterson Air Force Base Wright, in order Wright for Patterson. further study. The real Area Fifty One. None of this other bullshit outside of. Vegas. This is the real one. That's where they took all the crafts and the bodies. They're still there to this day. And now Scully published this book in 1950. And then Scientist X and um, when he wrote this book, Scientist X and Dr. G were very much dedicated to his daughter, Dana Scully. (laughs) Were uh, Dana Frank Scully. Dana Frank. She's named after Daz. Middle name is normal. Uh, and there's were definitely some persons of interest because the the identities of Scientist X and Dr. G were soon to be revealed after this. It's that's a perfect time to take a break, Dan. Grab a beer. We're gonna be right back. So now the whole thing that kind of ties this whole Aztec UFO crash, like it um it was all kind of written off as a, a bit of just like flight of fancies, like in terms of Frank Scully, like the behind the flying saucer the Aztec UFO crash kind of fell out of the light for like a long time or was overshadowed by the Roswell crash, which happened and became a lot more popular during the 1970s. And then in, um, you had this memo that popped up in the early two thousands and it was called the guy hodl memo. And I think we we've mentioned it when, like we said, we mentioned it before and so this memo dates back to 1950. It was an FBI memo, and it is a report that was filed by an FBI agent uh, who was at the time the head of the bureau's Washington field office. Now, this in in this memo, it refers to the descriptions of the UFO from Aztec, New Mexico, the crew members, 
um, talking about how these aliens had bodies of human shape, but were only three feet, approximately three feet tall, dressed in some type of metallic cloth of a very fine texture, and okay. how each of, each of these bodies were bandaged um, in a manner similar to the to the blackout suits that uh, are used by speed flyers at the time, or test pilots. And so they were talking about how perhaps this craft had actually been downed by some type of high-powered military uh, radar in the area that interfered with the UFO's controls. Now, um, th this this memo was actually made available to the public in the 1970s, like due to a, a FOIA request by a Navy physicist by the name of Bruce McAbee. Uh, and the Hoddle memo didn't really get a lot of intention until 2011. And I remember this, like I, I really remember this popping up on the news um, about this being the whole kind of, it was kind of like the, um, the a tip thing, like back, but like right. before a tip, yeah. like it was all before that. I remember this popping up on the news and like the UFO stuff and being like, this is it. This is the smoking gun. This is the whole thing. Like this is, this is at least confirmation that one UFO crash, maybe not, um, you know, uh, either it was referring to Roswell or it was talking about or is mentioning, you know, referring to some other crashes and maybe even additional crashes besides Roswell. And then, you know, it's been public and it's been you're able to view it on the FBI's own uh, public online vault. Like you can pull it up and it, there's tons of articles about it. Um, and it, this all kind of tied it all together. And this is like a whole thing that when I. I don't know what happened to it in the 1970s, and then it got popular in 2011. I just remember popping up. Now, going back to uh, Frank Scully's primary source for the story about the UF, the, the information regarding the Aztec UFO crash, you have to talk about two people um, that in the book, he refers to a scientist X and a Dr. G. Great names. And then later on in the book, like later on in the book, he identifies them like he clearly like states like these are pretty much like these are the people. Um, there was no real re there was no reason to use fake names. He just just calls them. Out. <laughs> I know he he calls them scientist X and he calls them Doctor G. But like in the book, he kind of it, it's almost like he just changes it. He just like stops using the the name scientist X and Doctor G. Like he just stops using it. Hey, he was uh, he was spelling telescope wrong the whole time. <laughs> um so so these these two men uh went are you know it well it's still kind of it's still kind of maybe allegedly uh these two men that he's referring to scientist x being silas one silas m newton and then dr g being one leonard jabauer okay mm. um these two had a bit of history in New Mexico, like are in that area in the Southwest. Now, um, in the book, it, like it, Scully talks about how Jabauer and uh, Newton uh, relayed to him that they had developed a, a type of device that was based on uh, the technology that flying saucers functioned on. Like that is that is specifically referred to in the book that they had. It, not necessarily that it had been built from alien technology, but that it, it had um, it, it, it functioned on the very similar principles of some type of like magnetic field technology or manipulation that these craft were using free energy and 
maybe <laughs> like they i they really they 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 hype the the whole magnetic or magnetism aspect of these um things because i think uh newton had kind of talked about how these craft um he refers to not only the new mexico craft but he had done an actual like speaking lecturing at the i believe it was the university of colorado and he had kind of uh, said that he is a um, you know claimed to be a ufo expert he had worked on a number of government uh projects uh, alongside jabauer uh, they are both kind of like been contracted by the united states military on numerous occasions in order to study these craft and he had come to the conclusion that these craft were it, it was somehow interested or attracted to uh magnetic fault lines uh, that are spread out throughout our planet. And apparently New Mexico is one of these places where there was like an extended magnetic fault line. And this is where this craft had, had landed slash crashed. It's elevating right now. Along. I can see his face. I can see it. What the fuck are you talking about? We're talking about your shit right now. My shit. Fucking ley lines, I've buddy. never heard no, of it. No, ley lines, a ley line is love not that a, shit. A ley line is not a magnetic fault line. What the fuck? Oh, I was going to ask what a magnetic fault line is. I, I don't know. I tried to look it up, and it's not. It's not. Well, I mean, I guess it could be the same thing. It's like an energy line, like a point on the world. I, yeah, I had tried to look up some type of like medic, perhaps like a, a like the the dispersal or the like the where the magnetic materials kind of congregate. Maybe like they kind of all kind of come into some spots. Couldn't really find any specific information regarding New Mexico as being any kind of like standout subject in the in the terms of like magnetic fault lines or magnetic anomalies but, but could be here's here's the thing like uh and you know this when i read that i was thinking that maybe if these are some like you know charging stations right for these things that they come down and they charge on or or, or whatnot perhaps if if this is the account that you know maybe because due to pole shifting or something that it used to be in this location but it ain't anymore so when they go there expecting to recharge, maybe they ran out of juice or, or whatever powers their ship. <laughs> and then they, and they crash there. there. Not realizing that the poles had shifted or reversed from the last time they were passing through Earth. So we're in this theory, we're saying that either this magnetic fault line is the cause of the craft or crash of not only the Roswell crash, but Aztec and there actually is more. I'll get to it in a little bit. There's a guy who says there are actually seven crashes throughout like six years or something. Well, right. That would make sense because say, like, let's just say this. So let's say the Roswell crash happens. Hypothetical. It, it, that one goes down. And then whoever is with this organization, they're like, hey, well, these people went down. We got to send, you know, our search and rescue. They send and they they just fall into the same problem. They're like, what the hell? There's supposed to be these magnetic things for us to stop or operate your ships and stuff. And they're just crashing because they're, you know, they've they've done math by nine and now it's off. Well, like if you go by the theory of like Roswell and stuff, <laughs> so, math, math by nine and they're off. <laughs> dummies. Raven's completely right. Yeah. It's a bunch of fucking dummies on this show. But but no, what about uh? So I've heard before, like some like, people are like, okay, well, how you can traverse the vast distance of space and time or dimension or whatever, and then you just crash on Earth, right? People are like, okay, well, yeah, a craft could have a malfunction, sure, 
we have malfunctions with our most our sophisticated crash craft. it all the time. Yeah, but or I've read before that some version of our radar, like a powerful radar, they didn't anticipate like it would affect their systems, and that's actually what's just knocking them out of the sky. Because all around here, you got at least two crashes, possibly five other crashes. I'll get to in a second. All within this area, and like we're we're not far from like like this is where at the time our most sophisticated you know technologies are at work we're developing atomic weapons and they're coming they're checking out the atomic weapon program and they're falling out of the sky that's kind of what it seems like <laughs> all around here yeah. these craft are falling out of the sky or crash landing maybe not necessarily completely losing power like crash landing into the bank and gouging out a bit and then landing and they can't take off again and then they're all dead inside and we find them here's the thing though like we have zero idea on the numbers that are actually visiting us right and no, like no at clue. some point you you can chalk some of this up to like uh, we call it human error but just like being error people make mistakes no matter how advanced the technology is sure right yeah you know so like we have no idea how maybe they're fuck maybe there's 10 of them visiting us a day I, and you look at the numbers it's really not that many crafts that we've fucking seen right um, that have crash landed and actually tangible, like gotten our hands on. Mm -hmm. I, well, I, there's probably none, but if the, if it if to, it's to be believed there's more crafts, I would have to go with Zell that something's affecting them, only because like those kind of mistakes don't happen in a pattern like that. I would kind of akin it to like, um, you know, when what's the dangerous gas that builds up CO2? in in compost and stuff? It's really um, methane. Oh, methane. Uh, methane. Methane uh, gas. Yeah. Is it methane? Yeah. I, I don't H2S. know. If it's methane. H two S. That's right. H two S. Uh, right, and I took you, the course. Yeah, me too. I don't remember what it is. Uh, <laughs> you breathe that in, you die. And then what happens in a lot of times in these situations is people will come on the scene, see you lying, time. think you're hurt. They'll come to check on you, and then they die. And then someone else comes and goes, "Hey, look at those two guys. We got to go help them." They walk in, they die. This kind of scenario kind of seems like that, where it's like a plane, a crash, and then people are like, "Well, why'd they crash? They come and they crash because it's like." Maybe they like Zelda. They think that we're so primitive that these things will not affect us. Yeah, that's yeah. Now, uh. just just before we move on a little bit here, I want to talk about this uh, this one guy. He he's got a great website. You gotta check it out. ChuckWadeUFO.com. So this guy Chuck Wade grew up. That's a good name. Yeah, that's Chuck, a good fucking name. Fucking Chuck that's a real Wade. name. That's, that's a, a real name. Good ass name. It's way better than Brainer Zell. <laughs> I think I'm going to go real. by Chuck Wade from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he was born in... It's not the best name in this case, though. I'll talk about him after, but go ahead, Zell. Uh, Chuck Wade, born in Corona, New Mexico. So Corona, there was there is a Corona UFO as well, but so close to Roswell. He grew up in the area, and you know, throughout his life, he discovered that it, there was multiple crashes. And he actually says, here's his list of crashes. You can Chuck, ChuckWadeUFO.com if you want to check out what I'm reading here. The first crash... In all in New Mexico is August 1945, right? So that's not far after the first atomic weapon blasts, right? Second, so this is before Roswell, if we're talking here. Second happened in the plains of San Agustin. So the first one was, yeah, San Antonio, 1945, a 25 to 30-foot long avocado-shaped craft, he claims. Second one, the night of the 1st to 2nd of July, 1947. 32-foot diameter craft. Third, 
They call this one the alternate Roswell. Night of July 4th, 1947, a 25-foot oval craft. Fourth craft, this is the Roswell craft, July 4th, 1947. This is the one that everyone talks about. Fifth craft, Corona craft. So Corona, New Mexico, 30 miles, I think, south of Roswell. A hundred foot craft, so the, so the same as the Aztec one. Shit. Six craft, he claims. He calls it the Jim Ragsdale site, located 53 miles west of Roswell. A 20 foot craft. And the seventh is the one we're talking about here, the Hart Canyon Aztec New Mexico craft, 100 foot, completely intact. 99.99. We're, we're rounding here. 99.99. We're going to give them their base. Nine. Can't ra- you can't round in base nine. Can't round in base nine. <laughs> you can't round to zero. So this guy claims there's actually seven. So like this is, we're talking about the last in a string of downed UFOs, mm-hmm. according to this guy. Go check him out. ChuckWadeUFO.com. Maybe one of the name. greatest built websites <laughs> of all time. You can't yeah, beat it. Yeah. 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 But he, I mean, he's, hey, he spent Chuck his whole Wade life. knows some HTML. That's hey, for sure. Dude, he's yeah, spent yeah. his whole life ta- researching it. There's more than just the Roswell craft. There's more than just Aztec. You're not going to believe in a guy named Chuck Wade? You have to. A name that powerful? Yeah, yeah, dude. He's got one of those names where you're always saying the full name. No one's calling Chuck him Chuck. Wade. Everyone oh, Chuck sure Wade. Assume Chuck Wade. You going to Chuck Wade's house? Oh, fuck yeah. yeah, I'm going to Chuck Wade's house. Fuck yeah, pal. Anyways, I just got to throw that in there. So possible other six other crafts are downed craft in the same region. In the area. Yeah. Okay. So back onto the uh, the the subject of Newton, you know, Silas M. Newton and, and Leonard Jabauer. Now they they were known to have been you know active in the area. Like Silas uh, Newton had his own oil company at the time in the nineteen uh, you know late nineteen forties, early nineteen fifties, and him and Jabauer kind of worked together uh, in order to kind of uh, to to uh, you know they were entrepreneurs. Hold on, we talk we're talking about Silas Wade. Not Silas Wade. Silas, what's his last name? Silas Frank Scully. Silence, Silence Frank Scully, whatever the fuck. That's not. You call thing. him an entrepreneur. That's not true. That's not exactly Industrialist. Well, also, we are missing his Silas most important M. title. Newton. Uh, doodlebugger. Doodlebugger? Yes. He's a fucking doodlebugger. That's a great fucking word. He's a fucking doodlebugger. It's, I mean, what's a doodlebugger? So, yeah, a, doodle, a doodlebug is usually used to refer to some type of uh, a mechanism or uh, uh, some type of. Uh, device uh which doesn't really normally doesn't really have a, a, a type of function and it was well, easy, but they use the doodle bug to refer to this device which i kind of mentioned before which they were using based on the principles of magnetics that allowed these craft to also fly um i guess uh newton and and jabauer gabauer had taken the uh, the knowledge that had, they had gained while working on some of these government projects, according to them, and build this mechanism that would be able to detect certain uh, valuable minerals and and perhaps oil as well uh, to to allow people to be able to find these these oil wells and and deposits of minerals uh, in order to dig them up. So therefore, you know. Increasing your wealth, whatever you want to do, things like that. So therefore, he's a doodlebugger. Doodlebugger. And they were doodlebuggers. So well, they were doodlebuggers. You know, there's, I read and listened to different reports that, you know, had claimed that this guy was just a really talented oil man and they said he could find oil anywhere. 
And when asked how he was so good, he would just say, you know, it's my alien alien tech I got. Kind of tongue in cheek kind of thing. This is, I'm a doodle bug. I got, I'm I, got doodle that, bugger. I got the <laughs> alien tech. Uh, and it was more tongue in cheek than anything. But, you know, like that. But this is the prevailing account is obviously that what Dan's talking about. He's a doodle bugger. Doodle bugger. Now, there are some people who are not. There were some people who are not quite convinced that Newton and Jabauer were completely on the level with the technology that they were using. Um, uh, one of the people that had kind of ended up lodging a complaint about Jabauer and Newton and their technology was one Herman A. Flater, who was a, a Denver-based industrialist, and he had been sold on the idea that this doodlebug could find these hidden oil deposits, and uh, you know he had to end up investing with the pair, um, believing that his investment would go ahead and it would would definitely pay off. Is how you know Newton and Gebauer kind of sold him on it. Now, according to uh, Newton and Gebauer, like according to Newton. The each doodlebug was supposedly supposed to cost eight hundred thousand dollars to produce. Cool. And so thousand in nineteen forty for fifty? Yeah. Eight hundred thousand dollars to produce, but he was only asking Flater to invest fifty thousand dollars. Fifty thousand dollars to buy in. Which seems pretty, you know, that's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good return if you're gonna put in you know, fifty thousand dollars for an eight hundred thousand product, and then that's a potentially going to, you know, find you a nice, sweet oil well or you know, val valuable minerals of some type. Pretty appealing. That'd be worth nine million dollars today. Holy <laughs> shit! Per piece Damn. of equipment, per one of those. But I mean, you only need it one, right? Yeah, Spencer yeah. Doodlebugger, buddy. It's true. Now, I should have gotten the Doodlebug business. Goddamn. Yeah. Now it ended up that some people. Uh, got their hands on one of these, you know, proprietary or whatever. These these doodlebugs got imprinted and kind of uh, ended up nicking them and pulling them apart. And the estimated actual cost for one of these things it was roughly about three fifty. It was mainly constructed <laughs> from pieces of like radio equipment, like surplus army radio equipment and things like this that Dude, you could probably find at any kind of. That's a good um, fucking return on investment right there. Yeah. So. Not a hundred percent sure about how clear these things are, how successful these things were, because it's, it's never really looking through it. None of these, uh, you know, any of the oil prospecting is out there. I never remember reading anything about anything uh, attributed to a, a doodle bug discovery. I would think that would be something that would be heavily advertised um, if you were to, um, you know, if you produced it, you'd want it in the newspaper as much as possible. But, yeah, if you could sell it, you know, if you can go eight hundred thousand dollars for a three dollars and fifty cents investment, whew. you can sell one of those, and you're you have estate fortune for ten generations. <laughs> well, I mean, the the device itself was kind of determined by those who people kind of took it apart, electronic specialists who got, who got their hands on it. And eventually, kind of a uh, uh, you know, it was alleged that these things were essentially useless. That they didn't. They didn't. They didn't do any of the stuff that they were uh, reported to do or claimed to do. They were just kind of just random radio equipment, kind of smashed together. Uh, Gebauer was known as a type of a you know an electronics craftsman of of some sort, and he kind of uh, would just like kind of construct these things together, and you know you put a doodle bug together, and you're just saying like, hey, look at this thing here. Um, 
you know, I put there's there's kind of an interesting anecdote where it's like they were selling it to Flater and 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 you know, uh, Bauer apparently was like dissembling it or assembling it in front of him and was like kind of taking it apart and showing him different pieces of it. And he was showing like these three uh, silver marble pieces, and he was telling uh, uh, he he told. <laughs> or he he heavily implied or he directly told him that these three little silvery marbles that he was holding that were part of the you know uh were a part of the the machine were made of plutonium see these, oh, these are steelies these are the best marbles you can get yeah, yeah. all right so, better than the smashers better than anything 100 yeah. percent plutonium how, how they got King their Collins? hands on plutonium back then is you know that i mean sure you would have to work for some type of government uh, highly secretive government uh, agency in order to get your hands on plutonium and then be able to sell it to, uh, you know, prospective uh, oil prospectors, I suppose. Right. So, um, you know, I mean, I would assume it'd be highly regulated back then as it is now, even if you, I mean, you could order, you know, types of uh, uranium and plutonium, like small, small, small pieces, like off of Amazon and stuff like that. But I'm pretty sure that mm-hmm. puts you on a list. <laughs> you can order them off Amazon right now. Well, for like types of like little experiment, like you know, home chemistry projects and stuff like that. For plutonium, really plutonium, Amazon. Not, I, I'm not sure about plutonium. I, like I think uranium. Like you can I'm on the no uranium list. Thing, oh, you're, so. I remember uranium ore. Oh, I can buy. Hey, look in there. I can buy it. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure Caution, that was should radioactive content, uranium ore. Forty dollars. Forty dollars. Eat it. Should I eat I it? Mean, Should I order an I mean, it's not try. enriched uranium. It's not the uranium that I mean, you would need like a, a serious facility in order to produce the kind of uranium that you need like to to weaponize. But oh, oh I'm sure he's got he a serious facility in his gut right there. Geez. They're not gonna <laughs> your selected delivery location is beyond sellers shipping coverage for this item. Damn it. Yeah, I didn't. Time. I didn't realize you could buy some type of uranium on Amazon. Call yeah. Bezos. They owe us a favor. This should ship to the studio, man. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a there's a bit of uh, controversy as to why, um, or actually, like whether Newton and Gebauer were kind of either selling Scully on this type of story, whether they were actually involved because some of their history, like, you know, like we just said, it's like perhaps some of that is kind of paints them in a little bit of unfavorable light, but. Well, it, it doesn't look good, but. <laughs> it doesn't look really good, but you still have some people who have um, dug more into this case, like uh, the Ramses who have, uh, is it, um, the the Ramses, the couple are Scott and Suzanne Ramsey, who have published. Uh, they published one book, like three this or four. Their times. life's work. They're they have like, two. They have two books out, and a third. Third's coming. coming, right? But it's just the third edition, right? It's just a. It's the same book, but it's been. Yeah, yeah I think add, the first run only as, did. As people as they die, learn. they just keep adding new shit that they're allowed to talk about. No, they did. Yeah, the first run was a thousand copies, right? Which is not very many. Sold out. Right. Good for them. And then there was re, re reissued in like 2012 mm-hmm. by a bigger publisher. And I think that actually it's been reissued again for the third print. So, right. And they said they've added, you know, they've added on to it's the third edition of, of this book, uh, specifically talking about the UFO crash and within their book, like they spent a number of time. And what is it, Braden? You said over half a million dollars. They spent well, like over half. 
self-reported half a million 20 years plus on this book. Yes. Researching. Um, I think one uh, it includes a foreword by Dr. The late Dr. Stanton Freeman. Yep. Um, how he talked about this book. And when he, when he originally heard about the Aztec UFO, uh, you know, to kind of sum up his feelings about their book, he said that, you know, he felt that it was a hoax, like 100%. This is no way that this could have happened. Um, but after reading their book, um, which is is mostly a, a collection of testimonies by people who had who, who they interviewed, um, most of them like tw- I mean they started interviewing people when in the eighties nineties yeah yeah nine early nineties at least early nineties they started reporting uh, they started collecting interviews from people who had um, either been living around that area at that time and perhaps had had or say they were part of the team in some capacity of recovering the craft. It's interesting because their story though, like the ones that the Ramses rely on, like it's completely different than the story we talked about. Oh, we've got seven UFO crashes. So it could be, it could be a different one. Maybe I guess. Yeah. Cause like this, the one they they talk about was found by like a bunch of oil rig workers on their way to work. Well, not Dr. G and uh, you know, funky master fresh on the fucking <laughs> jazzy Jeff or whatever the fuck his name was. Science is X. Yeah, yeah but I think that I can, but you know, you know, like I, I think we have to talk. It, you think we have pos- to talk about, we got to talk about Lincoln LaPaul. Well, it's, it's tough for me. Cause I'm like, this is their account is different, right? They have oil workers doing this where, and some of the story makes more sense when you like, you have this craft, and you have a bunch of oil workers, poking at it and they find this whole they stick a stick in like what's in there and the door opens i'm like okay that's a little more believable than our best scientists <laughs> just whacking this <laughs> just thing ape, you know what i mean the zoolander style yeah files are in the computer man so yeah, this yeah, it but makes lincoln laplace came came or lincoln laplace came on scene and disproved everything they told us that don't tell me you forget that fucking name that's the coolest name i've ever heard I when don't i remember when that name. they talked to me about lincoln laplace Initially, my brain instantly went to a giant kitty cat wearing a trench coat that walks on two legs that talks like Diff. And when he talks, there's a long paw after he says everything. What did so? What did he have to do? With he the came story? in disproved. He came. He was the first person that showed up on scene and said, "Oh, it's just like fucking. There's nothing here. It's not. There was nothing in for here. It was just asteroids. No big deal. Asteroids? Don't worry about it. How you doing? Keep it moving. That's what asteroids." He said yeah, that's what he said. I are, yeah. are you getting that terminology right? I heard it in the Richard Dolan fucking interview, man. Ligan Lapaud. I'll never forget that name. It's the coolest name I've ever heard. I think you got the name right. <laughs> I know I got the name right. What? Lincoln Lapaud. Yeah, uh, it's a giant kitty wearing a trench coat. It kind of looks like Puss in Boots, you know. But like, <laughs> he's got one of those cool hats on too. Talks like a southern gentleman. Yeah. So, so they they've you know spent their basically their entire life. Um, and, you know, researching this and, and, and digging into it and trying to prove that it is more than a hoax and that there's actually something to this case. And, you know, they have a lot of cooperating, uh, evidence of, of people who have never, or seemingly have never kept in touch who give the same accounts, which I find is a fascinating thing because, you know, it's like, you know, that'd be like me and Andrew concocting a host and be like just in case if a couple ever comes talks to us in 40 years let's get our story straight of some details that you and i can only know and then they 
you know, and then we, we never talk again until these yeah, but, people come. So I don't know. We're also, you also have to take me and me and yours fucking credibility in account <laughs> that they actually interviewed real people that were there and witnessed this shit. From, from I I read some of the book like a lot of the book it's kind of unavailable unless you want to buy like a fifty dollar paperback copy which is like that's a little bit too much for me if I fifty dollars but um, they're they're fucking half a million dollars in debt from this shit so they have so to try, like that trying much. to read some of this like it, it is a um uh, from what I got like a couple like the previews of the book it is a very de- it's a very dense narrative written by them it's a lot of names it's a lot of a lot of places and um. Uh, they kind of put this stuff out. What I found interesting is like you, you find one story from one person, not like these people knew each other. It's like, it's just a lot of people who were there around the area. Um, you know, it, it is just like, there are people like, like Braden said, they are separated. It's separate people. It's not like groups of people. Like it, at least from what I was reading. Well, some of it is like, some of it is like the oil field workers that were together um, there are a group there's, of people that were the first ones on scene, according to them. There's two um, cops, too. Two cops. Pie. There's Lincoln LaPaul's. Right. And so there, there's there's some different groups of people there. But now, that's one all, thing now that, I remember reading. I remember reading the part about the uh, the oil workers, like the, the oil field workers coming out and creeping up on there. And then there was also some mention of like an archaeology, like an archaeology outing. That they came across it, like there was an archaeology class or some type of. I didn't hear that. That's cool. The Indiana Jones is there doing some freelance work. That's pretty cool. A lot. It seems like a lot of people. Like, <laughs> like a lot of people were there. Uh, that's all this thing, dude. The archaeology route, though. If we uh, remember that interview with Bob Lazar on Joe Rogan, and then he's like, "Yeah, we they dug some up." in an archaeological dig and then no one said well, anything more about it. We're all like, what the fuck do you mean? Archaeological? Well, they, Talk they, more were, about they, it. they were there by accident. Like they had seen like apparently like according to the, to one account, it was like this archaeology class or outing had been out there. And then they had seen like a something at night. Like they had seen something coming through the sky, like a fireball or something. Well, yes. Green fireball. Dan, I, Green I think, fireballs. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of accounts, but I think what you're thinking of is, because they do talk about some accounts of the green fireball because mm-hmm. I ha- I had no mention from them about an archaeology class um, at the crash site. I, you know, they did talk about um, seeing green, like the green fireballs that uh, frequent um, New Mexico. So it, maybe we're kind of getting our, because yeah, when I didn't hear that the, either in that Dolman interview, every, everything interview I've heard with them and I've listened to a couple now. There, there's the oil field workers, the two cops, and then the uh, Lincoln LaPaz. One of those fuck it. One of those cops was a survivor from the Baton Death March too. Fucking badass. What's the what was that again? That's like a New Mexico. No, that's World War Two, where the Japanese made the like the POWs march until they died. Oh fuck. Yeah, dude, and he survived that shit. So you can only imagine he's hard as fuck. Hard as fuck, man. Hard as fuck. He had no time for Lincoln LaPaz's shit, but. Whatever. That's what it is. Ah, I mean, it's a really cool case. Some a lot of people chalk it up to like, oh, it's all just a big fucking hoax. Then you get some people that you know they've dug their whole lives in. They've matched the events of this one craft crash to six other ones very close to this region, to Roswell. You know, there's like and a lot of people say like the theory of we didn't really get these modern. E, like UFO sightings until 
we started blasting nukes, right? And it all kind of it all kind of coincides with the the development of atomic weapons and the atomic age. And this is right yeah. right around then. It's hard not to jump to the hoax conclusion because as soon as you type this shit into Google, the first thing that comes up is like Wikipedia, the fucking Wikipedia. Aztec UFO crash hoax. Easy on the Wikipedia well, though. And and here's the thing though, this case for the longest time was considered a hoax by the mainstream media, by ufologists, you know, all the big names. Everyone pretty much wrote this one off as a hoax. And that's because of the articles written by J.P. Khan. 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 Well, bitch. So, you know, so the story goes that there's, and there's varying accounts. There's J.P. Khan's uh, versions and there's uh, Frank Scully's versions. Um, but the story somewhat goes is that, you know, at the time, um, J.P. Khan had uh, made an offer to Frank Scully whether to give him proof or exclusive rights to the story. Um, JP Khan says it was to provide proof. And uh, Frank Scully says he wanted to purchase the rights to the story, even though he had already had publishers. And Frank Scully told JP Khan, no, no, basically, absolutely not. So J uh, Khan set out to basically run a smear campaign using his, uh, he had way more influence. He was writing for the San Francisco Chronicle. He was writing for all different uh, newspapers and articles. And he used the two um, Grubauer and Silas what, Marsh or something like that. Yeah, Silas, Newton. Silas Newton. M. Newton. Newton. He used them. He kind of focused in on them as to just paint this smear campaign and write absolutely everything off. Um, he's the person that gave information to the FBI claiming that uh, these two you know, were claiming f frauding people and claiming that they had this alien tech, which was investigated by the FBI and he claims in interviews that like, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I made these claims and or, or I told the FBI about this and, you know, they got arrested for it. But that's not really what happened. They got, mm -hmm. you know, they got arrested for taking fraudulent claims from another business deal that didn't really have to do about so aliens across state lines. Adds credibility a bit, though. Y yeah, mm -hmm. but it, right? And and then he he basically tanks this story. Like, he single-handedly tanks, right? And it's not until the Ramses come in later that go, hey, maybe there was a little more to this than, you know, everyone just instantly bought on to JP Khan's story, maybe there's some more to this that's worth looking into. Right. And some of the fascinating things that the Ramseys talked about is um, you know, they've they've done tons of FOIA requests on FBI documents relating to this event and the bases around this event. And they talked about doing uh, a FOIA request. They got this huge document and you know, everything's redacted, all the names are redacted, except one name. And they're like, well, that's kind of interesting. Why is this one name? They thought it was a clerical error. They thought they'd do the good thing. They went in and um, talked to these people like, hey, look, is this a clerical error? They're like, uh, we don't know. Maybe. They end up tracking this guy down. And this guy, basically his job on the military base was to track personnel records. right? And they asked if a government was going to cover up, say, a, a, 
like a crash, like a recovery of this, could you essentially do it? And he went, well, I'm not saying you could, but what I would do is I would just say you were on the base. And then the week you were gone, I'd say you were injured in the infirmary with the sore ankle. And that's what I put on the, on the personnel records. And we would fudge those. So that way later on, if you leaked anything, we would just, we could easily go like, no, you weren't. You were on this base. (laughs) And then you hurt yourself playing beach volleyball. You're a liar. Oh shit. Right? Playing and with the boys is playing. You were in jean shorts and you're all fucking lathered yeah. up playing fucking volleyball, bud. <laughs> Thanks. You're Slap fucking lying, man. son. Now I, I found shit. that fascinating that you could, uh, um, you know, falsify records like that. You know, I'm not. I'm. I don't. I don't work. But if you know, taking their account like that, that's an interesting thing because when I was looking at this case and you hear about you know all this, you know, military crews coming in for weeks and stuff. It got me thinking that, you know, maybe the the government at this time is just getting better at at, at covering these things up and getting better at recovering these crafts, not having uh, notice. And one of the things that they talked about was that one of the people they talked to that said they were driving truck for the military in this area to recover some sort of craft, they didn't know what, was that some of the ground on the Mesa was so soft that they actually had to lay concrete pads down in two sections to to get vehicles over so they told someone uh who was in the area i I think it was either in the area or may own the land now who went through with a pipe and they were just basically sticking it through the ground to find and they found a huge concrete slab near the alleged crash site oh cool which which got the ramses thinking well this is very interesting we we want to try to find the second one because he said there's two they haven't found the second one yet debunkers said to them, hey, listen, it's just well caps, right? It's just oil well caps. That's all it is. Well, they've drilled, they've drilled into them, and they're not well caps. They're just slabs well with rebar. Explode. Yeah, and but they're just like it's just slabs in the sand. There's nothing else. It's interesting right? to say that though, because when you say they've gotten better at this, because was this this was after Roswell, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. Right? So maybe they learned Roswell from Roswell. Was? Well, here's the thing: right. that Roswell's eight months ago. They come out and they're like. Remember, they have they give the news report. We got exactly. a spaceship, and then they're like, "No, we didn't." Pull that we shit. Didn't. Like they were making policy and procedure. I think at that crash, as it was happening, they had no idea. So obviously, they're like, "Hey, something's happening. We need a plan, right?" And their contingency plan now was get in there, disprove everything to everyone, right? Spread out the witnesses. Nah, it's this. It's this. Get them out there. Keep it out of the media. Don't let any story filter through the media, clean up the craft, fix the area because pictures uh, that the Ramsey show show trees and planted areas that they look arguably they're in straight lines. It looks like someone planted these trees in this area. Like they're not just random. They're just in nice uh, crisp uniform lines. And I think the military has gone in they've, They know now they're like, we can't leave any wreckage. We can't leave any evidence, and the only evidence that I couldn't fucking deal with in this one is the horizontal line on that side of that fucking hill where it skimmed into before it crashed. Right? Everything else, they bulldozed, they flattened, they re-agriculture, pulled it out of there, and took it away. You know what that reminds me of is when we did um, the Hell's that play, Hell's Gate Bull Bull Canyon. Yeah. Right, same thing with the plane hitting that canyon and leaving that lot giant laceration in it. Yes, right? it's right. very similar. It's interesting. I just think that this is 
proof that they're just they were getting better at this time. They were ready for it. They knew something was happening. They maybe they they could maybe we could detect more than we know, and we knew these anomalies were happening. So we were prepared because the Ramses also talked to a lot of the people in Aztec, New Mexico, because these people were also surprised that they saw helicopters at the time because helicopters were brand new. So this was a big deal when all of a sudden there's these <laughs> helicopters flying over town. <laughs> and then next, thing you know, the military's rolling in. They're Dude, like, look, what are these fucking helicopters the fuck up here? Helicopters are probably that people, most people would have seen a helicopter back then and been like, well, that's an alien craft. Like what the oh, fuck is absolutely. that thing? Right, you would have been like, "What the hell?" That would have been right around like the start of helicopters. Like, what would nineteen forty? What are we? At? Yes, forty. Dan, forty-eight. Yeah, forty-eight. No, I mean they would have been like helicopters were used like at the end of World War Two. Like people knew what they were, but I mean they weren't full into. I mean we were in the Vietnam area. I mean, I think they were in use during the Korean War, but not not full. Uh-huh. Full on, they weren't like used like cavalry units. Like whenever you know. Mash was the first yeah, helicopter was a VS three hundred was in nineteen thirty nine, but it looked like it didn't look like any type of. There's just a dude sitting on like a scaffolding with blade. <laughs> like it's it's not like a real craft. I don't even think they called it a blade back then. It was a de- decapitator. Yeah, they had the funny, they had the funky looking helicopters. They weren't like the Hueys that you would see. It's just like the ones that had like the big bulbous front and then like the little cockpit on the top. Like it's yeah. like yeah. I, that's what I'm saying is like, so there was, there's things that stand out for people around this time. Yeah. Right. So it, it, it's to chalk it up to a, uh, just an absolute hoax like a JP Khan did in his articles. I, I don't, I honestly don't think we can do that anymore because there's too many accounts, right. Of people who claim to have seen this thing right up close and people who weren't friends didn't know each other and have never talked since who give the Ramses similar information. That's not known to the public. Right. We're just right? getting this from the Ramses though, right? Like it's just, that's the information we're getting directly from them in their book. Like there's no real, like no one else, no one's come no forward crime. and been like, I mean, the, yeah, the Ramses, there's Ramses in one other book that I think that are written and uh, that's pretty much it. About well, you this. got half a you got half a million dollars laying around. We can start calling these people, uh, having them on. You got twenty yeah. years. You guys want to spend the re- next twenty years re- researching one event? <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just saying, like, it, it, it honestly, like looking at them and hearing them talk and looking at their books and their publishing, I'm like, like I don't think this is something that they're like. I think they've stumbled on something and it's changed them, and they're like, no, there is something here, and they're pulling strings that are leading to other things. Hey, there's. They're on. I mean, twenty years of research. They're convinced of something, one hundred percent. Absolutely, yeah. Like, well, not only are they convinced, but they've changed the minds of a lot of UFOologists and and people in in this community that had completely written off the Aztec crash. It's true because we talked to Richard Dolan. This guy is one of the best. He's researched everything. He's listened and done everything. And he had these. He had the couple on for a two parter, and like he was. Like he was not, I'm not saying he was convinced that this was a real event or anything, but he was open to them exploring their theory. That guy's a beauty. Richard Dolan. He was like, he was fucking awesome, dude. Awesome. I'll I'll say this. He, he has some questions for some of their claims. Of course. He has questions, but some of the things that he 
after listening to him interview that I would say that he's on board with is that JP Khan pretty much ran a smear campaign against Frank Scully. He was pretty much on board with that. He's like, yeah, you know, that's pretty compelling that that's the case. You have two widely different accounts, right? You have even hit like you listen to JP Khan in later interviews, like his story doesn't really line up with the facts that we even know. Like he's embellishing and he kind of seems like a rich little petulant child, to be honest. <laughs> facts, though? Do we know the facts? I mean, do you do I we mean, know anything? We like, know, I thought I knew facts. We know, we know I, that I thought he I knew, didn't. But I we thought know I knew that facts he contacted the FBI. I started this podcast and I heard two different stories already. The story that I learned is completely different than the story that I, we talked about on this podcast. The, That's what I know. The, third, the story you learned was misinformation purposely implanted online. By, by con! Fucking con. Well, he, but here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Like, if if the military is, say, getting good at this kind of work, right, of con. debunking, covering up, maybe J.P. Con was the, the useful idiot in this case. Right. Where they got wind that Frank Scully's writing this book out and they're like, all right, well, hey, this is perfect. We've got some information. Let's give some tips to old uh, JP Khan here. Uh, get him on. So the do you case. think that was before or after JP Khan published his entire article, scathing article, criticizing the government for the internment of Japanese uh, citizens of the United States during World War II? Well, when was this? So this would be after when would when did he write that article? This I was before. Right before then, yeah. timeline. Because when was the crash? Forty-eight. And the crash was. I mean, he wrote his his article in nineteen fifty. Yeah. After so obviously he wrote that before nineteen fifty. The, the government said this but, is the guy that we need. But I. But here's the thing, Dan. I'm not saying that they approached him and they're like, "Hey, we're Mister Government. We would like you to help us." I'm saying that like, you just gave this guy the breadcrumbs he needed to go where he needed to go, right? And then. Like maybe they led him on, on his journey of writing this, you know, this hit piece on Scully. They're like, you know, if we if we give some of these nuggets, so he out, met he met Newton and Gabauer, right? Yeah. He met them, and he got that piece of him, that piece of material that Newton was famous for, or famed for. Kind of, he was known for presenting to some of his investors, saying, "This is the material, one of the materials that we use to make our." Uh, our doodle bugs and yeah, it's some type of space yeah. honestly though dan dan that account of him getting that piece you only find from jp con and the way he says he got it is he brought a replica even though he didn't ha wouldn't fucking know what the other one looked like or was the same and did some why wouldn't he he would see it in a newspaper but he, did like, he was famous for they, no, he was known it for makes sense it though out. because it's a fucking hold, fake hold on, machine of machinery on. It's a but fake on, piece of machine that doesn't even work. Hold on. It's a on. fucking it's a it's a fucking grift to begin with. JP Khan says he brought one and then did a magician's trick that he learned some sleight of hand and tricked them and gave them the wrong one as he palmed the one they did. I was like, so you're telling me one, you had an identical one in your hand, even though you'd never seen it before. You now know magic. Right? No, he did. He, of, no, he learned that. hand expert. <laughs> yeah, he said he learned that trick from one of his friends who was a magician. Like oh, he yeah. knew an actual magician. Broke the magician's code. What a piece I, of shit. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not talking about the specific. I'm not talking about the doodle bug. I'm referring to the piece of material. Yes, that's what I'm. That's what I'm referring to too. Right, and it looked like regular aluminum. 
Yes, but his account, the only account that you have of him getting this is from him doing this great handoff <laughs> manipulation where he, you know, uses his sleight of hand trick that obviously the men in black taught him, right? Sure. That's the only other people we know who do sleight of hand tricks. I think you saw you did not but see like, when I yeah. when you listen yeah. when I listen to him tell that and I'm like, oh, you learned a hand. I was like, show the trick, like show the sleight of hand trick. How did you know? You're saying that to a recording? Uh, yeah, I was, and I was like, yeah. "How? Like, how you have a disc? Like, how do you know that even is the same? What if it weighed different? You have no idea. You've never put your hands on it. <laughs> like, it it seems ludicrous to me that you would just fake these guys with a sleight of hand. So how come how come Newton and them didn't call him out on it then? If he just because I don't piece, believe it happened. Well, he took I a piece of the that, aluminum and he gave it to I, him. Like, I don't believe that. I just I, I, I I'm not saying I. This is according it might to have JP actually Khan. happened. This is according to JP Khan. That's it. That's the only account. It's not like these other two, Silas M. Newton and Leonard Grubauer, came out and were like, yeah, we did meet this. The account is single-handedly from JP Khan. But this, when he published it, how come Newton and them didn't refute it then? They could have they could have hit him with slander. They could have hit him with they could have hit him with defamation. They didn't they, they already were fucking the dealing with the fact that they made a product that doesn't work. That's fucking make believe. This is 1950s. These are oil yeah, guys. Maybe they're, they're out in the desert. They're Do trying to think? con people into a fake fucking piece of machinery called a doodle bugger that doesn't here's work. The, here's it's the thing. Bullshit. And they couldn't think? sell it, so they tried to say it was made with alien technology. <laughs> according to JP Con. It's fucking bullshit. All that's according to JP Con, man. JP Con's like, a, a JP Con's a con artist, motherfucker. Fuck that guy. Con! I I just his account of I'm like I'm like to take Khan's word on everything, and then you hear him tell the stories. I'm like I get an air of bullshit from him. I I, I just agree. do. But well, I listen to the guys that patent the doodle bug. I'm not okay. I, I know you're really fucking stuck on the doodle bug thing, but this has nothing to do, to do with the fucking random stick poking holes and stuff and open up staircases and the doodle bug. And I just can't do it. You pretty much got to show Andrew a legit video of anything, or he's not well, going to get I, it. So it's just one of the. Can we get a final thoughts? Can I just? Yeah, we got to get. We got to get wrapping up here. Or go on forever. Um, the only thing is, like with these kinds of stories, is that it ends up being one of those things where it hinges on one person or the other. Who do you believe? That's it. Like whose word do you take at face value? And when it's like something like this, when it's a topic that's so kind of complicated and has a lot of moving parts, when you get down into it, it's very difficult to do that. So you know. Um, you can't really go on a lot of things. It's just like this person says this, this person says that he said, she said, it's kind of just gets into that. Um, you know, you, you really can get into the weeds in this one. Um, but for me, it's kind of like, why didn't anybody say no, that wasn't right. Well, here's okay. Just a quick point on that. Dude, it's not like there's the internet and they're like, Hey, I'm trending on Twitter. It's like, they would have to like, <laughs> read the San Francisco Chronicle or how the fuck would but they that's, know? But you already said that was one of the more popular ones. He'd already been published a lot of times. Like they'd already been, if they were mentioned in an article, like they would have probably, Attention. especially San Francisco Chronicle, which is a popular publication. Like they probably would have heard about that. I, I, I don't think, I think we are too spoiled in how connected our world is now to even realize how unconnected it was in the 1960s. I, how many, I don't 
think I think you're underestimating how many people read a lot of newspapers back then because that's pretty much all you had to do. That was your information. Yeah, but, your only but, there was, information but there was yeah. news. It's not there was newspapers in every community, right? Like every community's had. Newspaper. Right, and you had small knit communities this like this community one, had that would be like, "Hey, Silas, like you have an oil company," and like someone be, "Hey, Silas, like you're in the news." Some guy wrote a whole like like a seven page article about you in the San Francisco Chronicle. I think we're also we're also in this day and age a little too reliant on the first search on Google. The first search on Google yeah. says this is an absolute complete hoax, but it doesn't doesn't mention anything else that Brain's talking about. I didn't so. read it. I didn't read it. I'm just saying is if you were just Google Aztec UFO encounter, it's going to say this is a complete hoax. Everything about yeah, this is a complete hoax. You're going to get JP Con's articles. You're going to get almost nothing about um, the Ramses and their work and, and the accounts I that they I think the Ramsey thing comes up before anything else for the hoaxes. I mean, the hoax <laughs> is the me. first thing that came up for me, but I didn't click up. The only research I did for this was the Dolan interview. Because Dolan fucking rules. That, and that's yeah. yeah. Dolan rules. One source for research it. is a totally valid way to approach some of these. I w- I bought all into this. I was really enjoying it until I f- the first thing I learned from this is there's two different completely fucking stories, and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, and like that's my final thought is like at the end of the day, you have to come down to some of these and be like, who do you believe? Because it's really just one person's word against another. Okay, boom. <laughs> there we go. We got Dan. He gave his. Andrew gave his. Brain. What do you think? Go. Uh, I think, I think this crash happened. I think it's real. I think the military at this point in time just had their their were prepared. They ducks were in prepared. a row. They had their ducks in a row. They knew what they were going to do, and they executed it flawlessly. And I think every all this muddy water that we see is planned and executed perfectly, exactly how they wanted to, exactly what they were planning for after the Roswell debacle. Mm. of coming out and saying, oh, we call it, oh, never mind. We, uh, that was a mistake. Um, I believe that um, in the 50s with J.P. Khan coming out, I believe he wrote this stuff and it's easier to believe. Listen, I, I love aliens, but if you're, if you're giving me two stories and you're going to say like, hey, it was a hoax, it's always going to be easier to believe it's a hoax. It's always easier to lean into it's a hoax than to be like, well, hey, this is, you know, this might be actual evidence of a UFO. It's always going to be easier. So I think that's what the general public did. And everyone is when he came out and he's a credible guy, you know, he, he had a lot of history and he came out and he said this was a hoax. Everyone just was like, then it's a hoax. And they left it at that. And they never did any digging because I wish someone, you know, had done the digging that the Ramses are doing now back then. I, I do believe that maybe the... Um, Grubauer and Silas M. Scheister. Newton. Newton. M. Newton. <laughs> you know, if they were indeed Scully sources, which he he does name, that maybe because they're old, these are this is a story they've heard secondhand, right? Like this is secondhand knowledge that they've now been like, well, this is my story now, and I can I can tell the story, and they tell it off as their own. People do that all the time. Right, where they they'll hear a story secondhand and then they try to make it that it happened to them. And, right, and if shouldn't that affect their credibility too, though? Pretending like a story that didn't happen to them happened to them. But I'm saying that just because I'm saying just because I don't care about those two credibility. Fuck those people. Like when you look at the Ramsey's work and stuff, they've interviewed people. That so now what you're saying is these people. So now we have a situation where, like Dan said, who do you believe? Do you believe J.P. Morgan or J.P. Uh, Sean? <laughs> 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 uh, 
JP Khan and Khan. and his version that these two are shysters going and that you know they may be conned Frank Scully into writing this book and Frank Scully was kind of an innocent party in this, which would then if if that's the story, that would mean then the Ramseys now are either perpetuating that hoax and everyone they've talked to is fake and has a fake account. Or everyone they talk to is perpetuating the hoax. Mm. Or they genuinely believe these people. And these people genuinely believe what they saw. Yeah. I have right? I have no issue with that. Zell so, assumed my fucking final thoughts, but yeah, no, that's that's fine. So anyway, that's that's mine. I think I think this happened. And I think the oddities of like this concrete slab uh in the middle of this area that's doing nothing, um, the evidence on the side of the hill, uh, horizontal, I, I, I think this points to something crashed. And the government just excelled at muddying the water, getting this craft, getting it out, and taking it away without too much noise. All right, that's An my final thought. Andrew says I uh, said his final thoughts for him, but it was it seemed to me pretty apparent. So Andrew, you want to give a quick? Uh, no, I'm good. Quick I'm, I'm good. I just from from the narrative that Braden was leaning on, that's kind of where I called bullshit. I didn't really like the the side that Newton and the other guy I can't really remember his name. We're Fair. painting with the gobbledygooker and all that kind of stuff. Gobbledygooker. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the original story that I I found, and I truly believe that somebody, the people, definitely witnessed something, especially with the mass fucking sightings of the green fireballs in this area too. The proximity close to fucking Roswell. Like, I definitely fucking think somebody Chuck, fucking saw something. Chuck, Chuck wagon fucking, or whatever. Chuck Wade. Like Chuck Wade doesn't lie. We all know that. And you think you lie, you're gonna get a fucking knuckle sandwich. So you better watch it. Yeah, that's pretty much what I think. I'm not. Uh, I'm not leaning heavily on hoax or heavily on this is the absolute truth. But I think that if you go look through ufology lore of all the events around this time, right around the atomic age, the birth of the atomic weapon, and the sighting of saucers and crashed craft, whether that craft, whether that we've talked about it before, whether that craft be extraterrestrial or some type of failed military experiments, either from, you know, from Future. Germany or Soviet Union or United States, or some type of tech that, you know, followed the World War II and all the advanced hey, technologies. There's a lot. It's not there. aliens, it's the Russians. And it's like, according to Annie Jacobs, they're just so far advanced in this time at aerodynamics than we are led to believe. Yeah, so I think uh, I'm not leaning either way. I'd like a little more... It's t it's tough when cases are so old, and then the best the best version of the case we get is like sixty years later. It's it makes it tough. It just does. It is. There's no there's no question about that. Uh, I'm somewhere in the middle. I mean, I love aliens, and I you know I want to believe. I got a fucking poster over here on my shoulder. It's over my left left shoulder here. I want to believe so bad. So I just want a little little more information on this one. But it, you know, it's fun, and there is six other cases right around this time within the eight months prior to this that all are very similar. So it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. All right. We got a, we got a theorite of the week. We do have a theorite of the week. Our theorite of the week is Joseph Ashley. Joseph Ashley. Woo. Probably the greatest. He, that guy cut the greatest Patreon promo on the face of the planet <laughs> for us. He did. Literally. He, it's heartfelt. It was it was very nice. I I read it when I came back. I saw it. Um, basically, got us twenty new patrons by just pleading to people. 
you know, it, it was nice. Very thoughtful. Um, we didn't ask. No, we didn't ask. We, and it, it led to a lot we've of... We've never uh, asked you guys to do that, but... It led to a lot of discussion. A lot of dialogue was to be had. A lot of, hey, a lot of dialogue. And it, Constructive it, criticism. It, it brings up a point, you know, like we, we do a podcast. There's millions of... Po- there's like a million podcasts. There's tons of creators and everyone's trying to get you to support them. It's no joke. That's just, That's the modern version of... You know, content creation. And yep. so he made some good points on there. There was a lot of dialogue back and forth. Some people are like, oh, I didn't like the bonus content. I was like, you know what? Supporting up something you like, whether it be a podcast or a band or a video creator or any type of content creator, you should support what, if you like their free content, that's what you support. And all the bonus stuff is bonus. It's bonus. Yeah, that's fucking crazy insightful though. When I read that, I was like, Jesus! Like, why am I even replying to these people? Zell's got all the answers. I'm like, yeah. that's exactly what was should be said. <laughs> like, that's perfect. Yeah, Andrew's like, suck it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> suck my ass. Yeah, suck my ass, buddy. What's your address? You want to fucking yeah. fight? Fuck you. <laughs> Donate now, and fucking Andrew will come to your house and beat shit he out of you. He will fight you. Oh, damn. Or try to. I was not. I didn't say anything. No, he, no. <laughs> somebody called me. Somebody called us lazy, and I was like, listen. No, that's no. not. Motherfucker, fuck you. I everything <laughs> we do takes effort, motherfucker. All right. That hey, that's a, that's the thing. If uh if you're looking to support someone just for their bonus content, that's not that's not the way. If you got you gotta like what they do for free. And if you like that, you support, and then all the bonus stuff is extra. So if uh, you like it, bonus. Bonus. Got, yeah. Just just go to Patreon just to listen to El, to fucking Zell and his eloquent shit just the stuff he says sounds so perfect it's beautiful yeah. anyways and if uh and if not and you're tight on cash and you're living paycheck to paycheck the show is free and always will be 99 there you go nothing wrong with that just keep you know what if you're, if you're listening for free you want to leave a, a review or just share on your socials that helps just Ooh. as much so absolutely fuck yeah all right all right all right and this week's on that note newest patreon supporters you got the list up because I'm. We missed a few last week, so we got a little long list. So let's uh, let's read them. This week's newest supporters. We got David from Texas, Devin Camplin, Full Bottle Cuervo. Sometimes you need one. Mallory Erickson, Ruben Espinoza, Lucas Bately, and Desiree Devro. Braden, take it. Woo! We got a $25 pledge from Chris Marino. Uh, 54-year pledge by 50. Corey Spencer. Uh, we got a pledge by Javier, Javier Jimenez. Uh, Matt Lanning. Brady Morris. Steve Fallon. And Edith Edith. And Vince... All right, we got a $5 month pledge by Paul Johnson. We've got Taco Dirt. We've got Prolapsed, Prolapser Prolapsing. <laughs> we got El Bubzo, Brian Hubbard, Boris Hadley, Alien Illuminati. Oh, shit. We got a $5 per month pledge by Chiapas Wayne. Nice. Chiapas Wayne. Chiapas Wayne. Got a five dollar per month pledge by Axel Salazar. Five dollar month pledge by Jeremy 
Pois é. In. 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 Give me all the hard ones. Yeah, we give down the hard ones at the end. $3 per month pledge by Anthony Perch. Oh, thank God. You got a full year pledge by Ondeg. And $10 per month pledge by Curtis Bailey. Oh, yeah. And as we always say at the end of those things, keep those eyes on the skies. See you in after Peace. hours. <laughs>